In case you missed it, here's a clip from episode nine with Rachel Foster of Long and Foster fame. There's there's a lot of coaching that goes into balance and being a complete person. Mm-hmm. And um, so what gets me out of bed in the morning is being able to interact with them in meaningful ways, mm-hmm. um, being what is called a servant leader, rolling mm-hmm. up my sleeves and walking the walk. You know, if, if we need to put stamps and, and, um, and mailing labels on envelopes, I, I get down and I do that. Like whatever it is that needs to get done, we get that work done. Mm-hmm. But in the midst of all of that, we get to know one another. We care about one another. And it speaks to our earlier conversation about the culture of Long and Foster overall, mm-hmm. that we really are committed to being supportive of one another, being generous with our time. I'm really excited about this week's episode. We have Jennifer Jacobs, as well as Rachel Foster, in the studio with us today. Jennifer is the executive director of AHIP, and Rachel is a board member. AHIP is a Virginia-based nonprofit that helps keep people in their homes when they may otherwise be rendered homeless because of emergency repairs that are needed. Our conversation is interesting and thought-provoking, and I think you'll enjoy it. I'm also proud to say that the Go With John show is giving back. Now, through February 12th, 2021, we are going to partner with AHIP for a community donation match. Your contribution will have double the impact to ensure your neighbors in Charlottesville and Albemarle County are safe at home through the emergency repairs and rehab programs. Please consider donating today to keep your neighbors safe warm and dry. The Go With John show is going to match the first $2,500 in donations that are made as a result of folks listening to this episode. Now on to the show. Jen Jacobs, welcome. Thank you for uh, coming in. It's nice to have you here. And we have Rachel Foster with us also. Rachel and I just finished uh, chatting uh, for about 45 minutes uh, about uh, her real estate career and her family and things like that. And we want to talk about AHIB today. So can you tell us uh, what is uh, AHIB and uh, a little bit about what the organization does? Sure. So AHIB believes that everyone should be safe at home. And that is our main reason for being. So we believe that everybody should wake up in a house that doesn't fail them. So mm-hmm. that is they should get up and down the steps safely and and easily. They should have insulation so they're not cold and they're um, so their heating and cooling bills aren't mm-hmm. out of reach. They shouldn't have X's on the floor where the kids aren't allowed to step because they might fall through. They should wow. have heat. They should have um, cooling, um, you know, anything and everything that could go wrong with a house. We want right. to make sure that people have have that. And we exist to make sure that they get that. Mm-hmm. Um, so safety and health and stability, housing security is what we're concerned about. Mm-hmm. And the other part of it is making sure that that families who own their houses um, are able to hold on to those houses and hold on and preserve their wealth and help to build their wealth. Right. Um, especially in an area, and if you're in real estate, so you, you get this, um, 
you know, for for many low-income people, it is impossible to break into the housing market. So a mm-hmm. lot of the families that we help have inherited their their houses or they bought them very inexpensively or their parents bought them or built them right. many, many years ago. Um, and if and if they get tired of the house or there's a fix that they're just they can't just say you know what I'm just going to go buy a new house somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, the the I looked up I was doing a, a grant proposal a couple weeks ago and I looked up the newly a, a median sale price for a newly constructed home in Elmore County last quarter was sixty six hundred sixty eight thousand dollars. Wow. And so the average income of the families that we help is between thirty and forty thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. They can't afford a well pump fix. Like they can't yeah. afford a an HVAC replacement or a septic. I mean, all of that takes up too large a share of their income. They just don't have it. Right. So there is no way that they're just going to go buy something new because they're tired of their house or it's or it's getting too expensive to Makes keep. Makes total sense. And so our role is to make sure that the families who have faced ex- extensive barriers and even getting those houses in the first place and don't really have any other option. Mm-hmm. Um, if they want to stay in that house, we exist to help them preserve that property and that wealth. And most of the families that we help, the wealth passes down. You know, right. and that's how it transfers. Right. And in the United States, that's how most people build and preserve their wealth these days and pass right. along and they can refinance and they have more control and they have more more power. Um, and so we want to make sure that that is afforded to to people who happen to be low income and need some help. Right. Fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about what you guys do on the board. So we have Rachel here for the first part of our episode today. So how did you how Rachel, how did you end up getting on the board? Was that through the agent advisory committee? Um, at- no, so not through my office. I got to know Ravi Respetto when I first moved to town. And at the time, she worked for AHIP. And I believe that she might have said to Jen, you know, hey, you're looking to, to bring people onto the board. Mm-hmm. Um, Rachel would be somebody that you, you might want to reach out to. Right. And um, I think, you know, they, of course, they knew that we were involved in and in working in the community on the different projects that AHIP has mm-hmm. that they encourage realtors to be a part of. And... Uh, Jen gave me a call. I met with a couple of the board members and Jen over lunch. Mm-hmm. And and of course you said no. I, I, she played no, no, hard no, to get. No, yeah. no. <laughs> typical, typical Rachel. You, you missed the earlier story about yeah. all the times I was like, mm, nope, yeah. no, every, not every, doing Everything that. that people ask Rachel to do, you get the no first and you just have to work through it. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's, I, I, I say sometimes that that's true about my brother, right. that, that he'll give you the no first. But apparently it's also <laughs> true about me. Yeah. Um, mm, Mm, that's good. That's going to be a character thing that I have to work on. Uh, I don't know how how hard to get I played in this particular case. Yeah. Um, they asked for my resume, mm-hmm. and I sent that in. And then now that I'm on the board, I know that you know that that information is put in front of us right. um, as a board, and we consider whether or not the person would be a good fit, would mm-hmm. be a good ambassador for. Um, a hip in the community right. um, would be helpful in raising funds um, or raising awareness mm-hmm. or both. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, that that happened 
maybe August of 2018. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I came on the board just before a big celebration that AHIP has done um, that they call the house party that was a fundraising event. Mm -hmm. And um, I've, I've been with the board now a little over two years. Great. So what happens in on the board? What, so, Jen, you're the CEO mm-hmm. of the company, and Rachel, you're on the board. What is that, for the folks listening, what does it mean to be on the board? What do you guys do in <laughs> board meetings? Yeah, I'm going to let Jen answer that. <laughs> um, well, you know, for, for just in the spectrum of nonprofits, you know, the board of directors will fulfill a little bit different roles depending on where an organization is in its life cycle. So right. for a lot of volunteer-driven organizations where they don't have a professional staff, the board members are like working board members, or they're the ones that are like stuffing the envelopes and, mm-hmm. and doing the work. Um, fortunately for our board, we have a we have a 18-person um, staff, okay. um, and we've got all those roles filled. So in our organization, the board takes on a, more of a governance function, than right. more of a policy board. Right. Um, they they serve a, a guidance function for us. Um, help us um, make sure that we're on track in terms of the direction of the organization, the vision of mm-hmm. the organization, how we're implementing the programs, making sure that we're on the right track. So mm-hmm. if we're talking about, you know, say we're having. Um, challenges in raising money in a certain area or doing a certain type of activity like small repairs versus large repairs this is an Mm -hmm. example like if there are things to consider around that um about 10 years ago we um well ahab's been around for 44 years and we've done rehab and repair the entire time but we've also done other things like first-time home buyer Mm -hmm. education and um, constructing new homes, and we got into the rental property business, multifamily rental, mm-hmm. in uh, 2000. And we thought that that was the area we were going to go into. We thought we were going to pair that with the work we were doing and make that one of our business lines. Right. And when I joined, I was on on staff before, but then I became executive director in 2009. We had this inflection point where we had to decide if we were going to actually go for it and yeah. do that work or if we were gonna stay focused on rehab and repair. And so mm-hmm. the board got together, and this is an example of when, sure. when it's really good to have all that expertise and knowledge in the room to help the staff figure out what the best um, what the best path is. And mm-hmm. so we decided, and the board decided at that time that we were going to get out of the rental business, that there were lots of other organizations in town, both nonprofit sure. and for-profit doing that work, but there was nobody else doing the rehab and repair. and. The, the volume of calls that come into the organization for people that needing help, if we weren't able to help them, there would be very few other options for them. Right. And so we felt that our calling in this world was mm-hmm. to make sure that we're available and well-staffed and high-performing to do that work. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge is funding it because right. it's not an easy activity to fund. Um, there's much more revenue on the property management and property development side than there is in rehab and repair. Mm-hmm. And so that's something else that the board w- is helping us with, figuring out how we become more profitable um, and more sustainable so that right. we can continue to provide the service. But it's a scrap. Like, it's not easy. Yeah. Well, nothing is easy, and especially charity work, because every there's so many people asking for something all the time. It's always a challenge, I think, to to raise funds. So how many people on the board? Uh, we have the... 13 people on the board right now. Okay. Yeah, and we can go up to 18, is what our bylaws say. So okay. we're about, yeah. So you, so you have about 18 on staff and then 13 mm-hmm. uh, board members. And then most of the board members, are they, are they um, all going out and doing 
uh, swinging a hammer, uh, building ramps. Uh, no, Rachel is actually one of the few board members we have right now. I'm trying to think. I think because yeah. I'm not here to call anybody out. No, <laughs> you know, everybody has their strengths and interests. I mean, everybody fills a role. I, I love our board. One of yeah. the one of the tr- you know truisms or you know, stereotypes, I guess, like when you get a bunch of executive directors together in a nonprofit, right. inevitably they start to complain about the board, right? Uh, sure. I so, but I, I found that when I'm in groups like that, I, I can't, like yeah. I, I don't really have any, there's nothing really to complain about. Right. Like they are so engaged and great to talk to. And I truly come away from whether it's a committee meeting or a board meeting, like feeling much better about about the organization. Yeah. And so it's energizing. And so that that's really good. And it's very rare. Yeah. Um, but I think right now, Rachel, you're the only one who has actually served in a vault, like actually swung a hammer. That hasn't always been the case, but currently, yes. I'm just curious. She I'm just gets, trying to get. Uh, she gets the hard yeah, hat. Yeah. Right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Good, 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 Rachel. Just. Uh, and she's also helped us raise raise funds, like substantial yeah. funds, especially around the house party. And that's one thing that you know I spend a lot of time talking about you know, this work and why it's important and yeah. the mission. I spent a lot of time selling it and talking to people. And and it is so um, beautiful when I get to hear somebody else tell me why this work is important. Right. And sometimes I forget that other people think that too. Right. So one of the things that um, most impressed me about Rachel was when, so she was on the board for that second house party, but you had actually spoken at the house party prior before she was involved with the board. She was new to town and mm-hmm. um, and Long and Foster had, had, had given a very generous donation and sponsorship of the house party and she got up to speak and I was like, wow, like we, t- like what organization is that? Like it was really nice to hear, you know, Rachel, the way she described the importance of this work and why it was important to her when, right. when Robbie did suggest her as a board member, I was like, yeah, like it's it's one of the, the, the most important feature of any board member that joins AHIP is that they are they are passionate about this work and they believe mm-hmm. as much as anybody um, why it why it's critical for the community and and that and that really stood out in terms mm-hmm. of what she was able how she describes the work of the Fantastic. organization. Yeah. Well, Rachel, I think do you have anything you want to contribute to the conversation about uh, AHIP? I know you've got to run to another meeting, so I want to give you an opportunity to uh, you know tell us how the uh, charity fits into your life. I'm just hugely grateful for the opportunity to serve AHIP. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I'm necessarily the best person to do it. I'm surrounded by people on that board who have experiences and, um, and have lived in Charlottesville considerably longer than I have. So Mm -hmm. they have connections Mm -hmm. that I haven't formed yet, but the opportunity to work with them, to see their hearts and why they show up. And especially Jen's like to, to know what gets her out of bed in the morning. You and I talked about why, why I serve my agents. So she is so passionate about this work. She cares about and the 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 board does and the people who work at AHIP we genuinely care about the people in Albemarle County Mm -hmm. the idea that I can go home at night and I don't have to worry about my roof leaking and I can put food on the table and you know I I I don't have to worry about whether or not I can pay my mortgage Mm -hmm. um I, I can't lose sight of that and the knowledge that many of our neighbors 
don't have those same assurances, can't count on... I I shared with John before you came in about the family that we built the wheelchair ramp for, and Ahip also put the bedroom on the first floor Mm -hmm. um, right off of Fifth Street Mm -hmm. um, that because they could no longer carry their daughter up to Mm -hmm. her bed. Um, That, I, I just don't think, most people go through their days and don't think about how many people are out there who they just need help making mm-hmm. it through the day. Mm-hmm. The idea that they can't heat or cool their home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have my heat on, I, I don't know, 68, um, and it's a little chilly in my house. And to think that there are people who don't have heat, wow, don't have solid. We saw pictures at our last board meeting of some of the families that we are helping. Um, and you know, there are holes in the floors and mm-hmm. holes in the ceiling where the, where, you know, a leak has caused the ceiling to fall down mm-hmm. and they live like that because the option of getting it fixed doesn't exist for so many mm-hmm. until they pick up the phone and call a hip. Right. Um, so I am richly blessed to be able to serve with these people, to see the work that they do, to see their hearts um, and how that plays out in this community. It is hard work, mm-hmm. um, but it is something that, that we are fully committed to. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is just such a blessing to be able to do it. You know, one, one of the interesting things is I spent a lot of time in Edinburgh, Virginia, which is not too far from here. Actually, it's just as far from here to Edinburgh as it is from here to Fairfax. So either way, it's 90 minutes. But, you, you know, the people I think that need help are also very, very proud yes. uh, people. And I, I, I would assume the same is the case here. And they're probably not eager to pick up the phone and uh, ask uh, for help. You know, they're that's, not. And yeah. Jen can tell you stories about, you know, they've worked their entire lives for the University of Virginia. Yeah. And they they need AHIP's help to stay in their homes. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I, I think picking up the phone, just taking that step has got to be extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that Jen has a lot of experiences that she can share with you. Um, that that tell those stories beautifully. Wonderful, and we, we'll, we're definitely going to get to that in the next uh, segment. You know, w- one thing one thing that comes to my mind going up and down sixty six, literally sometimes two or three times in a day, is all the wealth and all the excess that exists in Northern Virginia, and uh, how to get some of that wealth out to the suburbs of the rest of the state has been something I've struggled with really much of my life. Even things like, you know, washers and dryers, people in Northern Virginia, when they move, they try to sell them, they can't sell them, they can't give them away, and they end up a perfectly good washer and dryer goes to the the landfill or it goes to recycling because nobody wants it. Everybody goes out and buys a new washer and dryer. But then you try to say, okay, well, why can't we get some trucks and take these things out to Shenandoah County or Charlottesville or get them out to the suburbs? And the cost of moving those things and storing them is cost prohibitive, you know? So it's, it's just this really very interesting place to live on planet earth where you have so many people in the state of virginia who are struggling and need help and there's so much excess up north and i really don't know what the answer is 
but it's uh, I, I can see the challenge uh, that you face with trying to get the materials and the things that that you need to help the folks out. So we'll talk more about that. Maybe we can figure out a solution. So Rachel, thank you for staying over and and uh, joining us in this uh, beginning of this chat. And uh, we wish you a wonderful day. And thanks again for coming in to talk to us. Thank you, John. It was my pleasure. And I know that you're going to learn a lot from Jen um, uh, over the next you know 30 or so minutes um, about AHIP. It, it truly is. Um, doing the most important work that I can think of in this area. And, um, yeah, it's it's good to know you, Jen, and um, great to see you again. Please give my love to your mom and dad. I will. Okay. And, and and the other folks up at the uh, McLean yes. office, I'll say yes. hi to everybody. Let them know I miss them. I will. And hopefully we can uh, find a way to make some good happen out of this episode for uh, AHIB. That would be great. Wonderful. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Jen. I'm John Jorgensen, and if you want to learn more about buying a home or selling your existing home, contact us through the show. We work with an incredible network of professionals who can help you get through the process smoothly. Again, that's GoWithJohn.com. All right, so we're here with Jen Jacobs. She's the uh, CEO of AHIB, and uh, Rachel uh, Foster was with us, and she has just departed. So we're going to continue the conversation. So, so Rachel brought up that you had some amazing uh, stories of of folks that that you've helped. Can you? Uh, what are what are some of the? Tell us one of the more notable uh, families that you've helped. Okay, God, there's so many. Um, yeah. So one that it's going on right now, it's actually wrapping up. It's a it's a it's a very recent one. Um, there's a gentleman who lives in downtown Charlottesville mm-hmm. who grew up in the house. He was born in the house. Mm-hmm. He is now 81 years old, I think. So he's in his, his early 80s. Um, he he was born in that house. His parents um, bought the house obviously at a time in the nation's history and Charlottesville history where that was not easy to do for a black family. Um, And he stayed and he went went to school locally and then he left and he went to um, a tech and agricultural school in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. So he left town and he he went and he did that. And then after that, he enlisted in the army. So Mm -hmm. he was in the army for six years where he served. And then his parents were ailing. So they were getting older and he felt like he was needed back here. So he returned to Charlottesville and he started his, you know, he had already served the country. And then he um, worked for UVA in circulation. I think he worked for two of the libraries in succession, um, first as a courier and then for the libraries. And then he left UVA and he went and served in the Albemarle County depu- um, he, as a deputy sheriff. So he okay. worked in the sheriff's office. He left there and he went and he had a 15 year career. Uh, for the Charlottesville Police Department in the patrol division, mm-hmm. um, where he ended up as an investigator in the patrol division. So he worked and served Charlottesville community in that um, capacity for 15 years. 
And then he left there, and then he went to work for Jaunt, which is the regional transportation service mm -hmm. in the, uh, it's a quasi-governmental, um, it's private, but it's, you know, contractual for the, for the region. And he served as a driver for Jaunt, which serves the community in many ways by, by picking up elderly and people who are disabled. So it provides an essential service for the people who live here. And he was a driver for Jaunt, and he retired from Jaunt at age 77. Wow. So he spent, he's a lovely man. I haven't, I haven't met him, but I've heard interviews done by him and my, my staff has met him. He, um, so he spent his entire life from the time when he was like 21 years old, 77 mm -hmm. years old, worked until he was 77. Um, and his house was literally falling down. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes we speak hyperbolically, right? right? But like it was actually literally falling down. The the um the windows were falling out of the of the casings, so they had pillows, a stuff to keep the weather and the animals out. Mm -hmm. Um the 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 exterior wall was actually falling away from the house. So by the time our crews got there, we actually had to they had to brace it while they gutted the front foyer and re reframed everything wow. so it would be stable. Um, the reason he called us was because he didn't have any heat. So he'd been mm -hmm. without heat for a year. Um, and throughout this time, he, he got married, he had kids. His wife passed away two years ago, I think. Okay. Um, so now he's, by, he's he, uh, one of his adult children live with him, lives with him, but he's, he's widowed. Um, so he called because he didn't have any heat, and they were heating with space heaters, mm. and which, you know, gives heat, but it's not safe, and um, it's not adequate for the whole, this old, old, this old house, which, you know, old houses, they're not well insulated, yeah. and... Um, Some and, of them have no insulation at all. And we have seen that, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and so, um, so anyway, so he, uh, so he called because of the heat, and we have a partnership with Beck Cohen, which is a local HVAC company mm -hmm. in town, and they have a partnership with Lennox, the supplier, and they were doing their biannual Feel the Love campaign, which provides a free system for a client. And we work with Beck Cohen year-round, so they provide um, multiple free systems for us year-round. And then discounted systems on right. the other months. So it's so it's anywhere from two to four free systems a year. Mm -hmm. um, so they've been an excellent partner for a couple of years now. Um, so he was selected. We, we pitched his name to Beck Cohen, and they picked him. And so we were able to go and do that. But when we got there, there was so much other work that, that needed to be done that we, we intaked him into our full rehab program mm -hmm. and are doing a host of things like mm -hmm. electrical and plumbing upgrades, a new roof. And like Rachel said, there were holes in the ceiling where, you know, the leaks had come through, right. um, which just weren't safe, um, that we had to reframe the entire front of the house and and you know, redo the windows and just a host of things. Um, the the project was, you know, almost a six-figure project. Um, but, you know, we talked about, like, what, how do we, how do we get the resources where they need to go and make sure that people, I, I, I just, one of the things that sort of stops me in my tracks sometimes is that People should have enough money. People should be making enough money when they're doing these essential jobs, so that they don't need this amount of help all the time. You know, right. and it's and it's just um, it just was very sad reading his uh, extensive history and story and all that he's given, and the fact that he he did not have the resources to either like do it or borrow. Right, mm -hmm. so he doesn't even have the the facility to borrow, and the fixed income that he's on now certainly mm -hmm. doesn't provide the opportunity to save. For right, that. right. Um, so that's two things, right? That shows how critical it is to keep this this mission going and this organization yep. going and making sure we have the resources we need to step in because we can't go back and fix the system, right? Right. Retroactively, so we have to do that. But what can we do 
moving forward to try to make sure and shore up the resources or um, the, the public infrastructure that needs to be in place to avoid people getting to this point in the first place, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and that's something that has been on my mind this year. That's a tough question, especially yeah. as we talk about things like we we were talking about the you know the 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 eviction moratorium and right. and all of that that yes. um, people they, we can't just evict ten million families right, right. like I mean that's that would I mean what everything would collapse right right so, so yeah during the last break we were talking about the, uh, the the situation right now with COVID and the tenants that can't pay their rent because many of them are servers or have jobs now that are that are uh, you know temporarily stopped if not permanently stopped and they can't right. pay their rent so the landlords can't evict them but the landlords still have to pay the bank so the landlords are getting uh, squeezed in the middle and how is all this going to play out we don't know right so right. nobody knows nobody and there's knows. there's yeah we can't even begin to have a conversation about that yeah. but it's yeah. uh yeah it's it's uh it's a tough situation so is he happy yeah, yeah, he is. He is. And um, we were going to try to go out and get some pictures for annual report that we're doing. And yeah. he had something happen and we couldn't. So I haven't I had a chance to follow up. Um, but we did a we uh, the local uh, NBC affiliate did a news story on him. And he, Wonderful. he was talking about how happy it was. So, um, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm just grateful to him for all the work that he's done. And I and I am I'm, I'm just I'm honored that we get to help him this time. Right? That's great. I mean, that's well, so just, you are here to fill the gap uh, that's right. in, in that in that scenario. We so, fill the gap. Uh, yep. yeah, but unfortunately, there's probably more gaps to be filled than you can fill. There are a lot of gaps. Yeah. Yeah. So going back to the to the board and what you guys do in board meetings. Yep. So you guys get applications from people who need help or how does if somebody needs help, how do they reach out to you? What's the process? Yeah. So the process is they call or one of their advocates call or their family mm-hmm. members call us. OK. Um, we usually have an extensive waiting list. I mean, it's been up into the hundreds, and um, but our phones ring every day. Like mm-hmm. so, we always get calls coming in. So I would say I don't know five to eight calls a week of people wow. seeking help, and sometimes more, sometimes less. But right. you know, we'll have a major weather event, or it'll be super cold, or super hot, or very yeah. stormy, or whatever. You know, two years ago when we got all that rain, you remember mm-hmm. that year? It I just do. rained and rained and rained. Yep, yep. The roof calls and the mold calls were just, I mean, it was yeah. just overwhelming. We had so much. So that definitely impacts the volume and what people are calling about. So what percentage of the people are you able to help? So if you're getting, oh. you know, if you're getting three, let's say you're getting a call a day, right? Mm-hmm. Sounds about, so if you're getting 365, 75 calls a year, how many of those folks are you able to provide assistance to? Last year, uh, so our fiscal year runs through June 30. So mm-hmm. for FY20, which ended in June, we helped 109 households okay. in that fiscal year. So about a third. About a third. So two thirds of the folks you can't help either because the situation, what would be the reasons why you wouldn't be able to help them? Um, so the reasons would be that they, um, the, the person who called just before them has a much more urgent, much more dire situation gotcha. than they did. So if somebody So called, you triage. We triage okay. and we rank and we wait. We have a weighted system in our database to figure out um, sometimes we'll wait for vulnerability. So if we have a disabled elderly person living by herself, yeah. we'll help her versus the family living that doesn't have as quite dire situation. We might help the family with the little kids in the room. Sometimes we have um, funding sources that are just for a certain neighborhood or area of the county. Okay. So if that's the case, that's how we triage. So there's lots of moving sure. <laughs> moving pieces in terms of so what we can It's not black help. and white. And sometimes it's because the need is too great. So right. if we hadn't had the funding in hand, and if Mr. Brown had called us in the spring, yeah. 
we would have to just table we would have had to table that so wow. we probably would have tarped the roof yeah. maybe gotten them the hvac system yeah. and hope for the best with this house like right. i don't know if we would have been able to to do that um and so sometimes if a house is too big if the project you know scope is too big or too mm-hmm. dire we just can't and we have to wait for funding sources to come in right so um, you have a so you have a wait list we do have a wait list yeah. although it's not you know sometimes people don't um don't wait on the wait list. Sometimes right. they just call back. So it, it's it's a little, it, it's not always consistent. It's gotcha. not always a consistent measure of, of the need. Um, but, the, but the volume of calls that we get and the amount of work that people need that we can't necessarily get to. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we only do a portion of what they need. We do the most important things and mm-hmm. we have to wait on the other things. So they might actually be served and then go back to waiting right. for, for the, next, the next time. Gotcha. Yeah. So what do you need, your organization? What does my organization yeah. need? <laughs> I know you were trying to figure out if I was asking, like, what do you need or what does your organization need? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Need? <laughs> uh, the organization um, requires resources in order to do this work. Right. So is so, it is it mainly cash donations, money that you need the most, yes. or is it uh, trade partners, or what? What? So what? What are you working for every day? Yeah. To to the, help. Yep. And the or or support the supply side yeah, for your yeah. need. Yeah. So yes. So that's a good question. So there's lots of different resources that we we ask for. Yeah. It's money is one. Uh, trade partners are the other. Like Beck Cohen is just a really good example of right. how we can work with partners to donate things that we would ordinarily have to pay for. So yep. there's that. Other partners have discounted. You know, provided us discounts. But usually we pay. We have a bidding process and we just bid it out. So right. We don't. It's not like we get all of our all the stuff donated. So sure. we pay. Um, and we actually, you know, last year we 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 invested about one point two million dollars into the local economy through mm-hmm. the purchase of goods and services. So that's another sort of like thing that we do. You know, we're not just like, you know, when we describe ourselves as a charity, it just sounds like we're taking stuff, but right. we're actually like pu- pumping it right. Putting back money back into the yeah, system. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's volunteers. You know, volunteering mm-hmm. is. Um, so those are sort of the the and various volunteers, building volunteers, board volunteers. So those right. are the. Those are the resource, the main resources that we use. Um, money is the the best, flex, most flexible um, resource that that we have, right. um, especially when it's flexible. So if we, if you wrote me a check right now for a million dollars, I would be able to um, to go back and and invest that million dollars into the highest needs of the organization. Um, whether it's a, a chunk for critical home repair, mm-hmm. right? The, the the emergencies that come in, like my well's not working or my heat right. went out or the roof started leaking or whatever, um, into more complex rehab projects and to support the infrastructure of the organization because right. none of the work gets done without the people managing, uh, the finance guy billing, right. um, the fundraisers fundraising. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a we get a fair amount of public support. Almaroe County and the city of Charlottesville have been incredibly generous, which isn't necessarily a given um, when right. you talk about work like ours. The localities don't have to do that, and mm-hmm. ours choose to do that, um, which is which is wonderful. Um, and we get some federal funding sources, and we get some state funding sources, or whatever. Um, but one of the um, and I don't know if a lot of people who have spent time in the for-profit and haven't spent a lot of time in the nonprofit world may not be familiar with this, but you know, when you go to Domino's and you buy a pizza and you give them $15 for the pizza, right. they take that $15 
and they support the entire company. And right. it's making the pizza, it's funding the people who do the work, it's mm -hmm. the CEO who does the vision. It's like, but you don't go into the Domino's place and give them $15 and say, well, I only want, I want $14 to go just to that pizza ingredients. Right. And I don't want you spending any of my money on salaries. Right. Like nobody ever would even think of doing that to Apple or to Boeing or to, right. I mean, it just doesn't happen. But that's what happens with nonprofits is right. that we are um, constrained by a lot of the funding sources and there are a myriad of them. Right. Um, and so one of the things that, that um, we have to focus at all the nonprofit, you know, directors and, and leaders and fundraisers have to focus on is how you cover your costs. Mm -hmm. And so we have this, we're a construction company, essentially, we're a nonprofit right. construction company, right? So we've got this construction business, but then we have to add a second business, which is fundraising and right. marketing right. on top of that. And then we have to have another business on top of that of like funding coordination, partner coordination, volunteer management, and that sort mm -hmm, of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's how we subsidize this work, which we can't ordinarily in, in normal times um, harness enough enough funds to cover the full cost of doing it. Right. Because these various funding sources and inst funding institutions, not just people, but funding institutions, have measures in place where we can only use 10% of the grant for whatever. Mm -hmm. So I would say flexible funding that we then take and very responsibly and measuredly apply to the various things. And I know that people are concerned that, you know, we've always heard the stories about the nonprofits taking it and spending right. it on things that, you know, there's been many high profile sort of cases of Red Cross ran into sure. a, a trouble. But you not know. with your organization. No, no, not with yeah, my, exactly. and not with most. Like most right. of the organizations on the ground were just trying to do the work. And, yeah. and the thing is, we, we want as much of that a much as much of those funds as possible, whether it's in-kind donations from people like Beck Cohen or Tiger Fuel, which is yeah. another one of our partners we work with, um, to go out because the phone keeps ringing. Like right. we, we just want to help. So money, that's the long answer. Yeah, uh, money, that's the short answer that's, and the long that, answer. The short answer is money. The long, <laughs> you got the long answer too. Um, but yeah, so it, it is, and it's expensive work. You know, it's um, it's not, uh, you know, we're, when we are triaging, right? And when yeah. we're doing that, uh, that uh, prioritization. So we've mm -hmm. got, if we want to serve the lowest income families and the most vulnerable families right. and the families that are having the the, the most dire life-threatening emergencies, typically those are the houses that are the hardest hit, right? Yes. Those are the houses that have been subject to most of the um, most of the uh, deferred maintenance over the years. Right. And so if we're working on an old house in the 10th and Page neighborhood in Charlottesville, which is a historic neighborhood, mm -hmm. old houses over 100 years old, a lot of them, well... That's, I mean, to replace the pulley mm -hmm. windows and mm -hmm. to put insulation and to, you know, gut rehab some of them, which is what mm -hmm. they need. Mm -hmm. um, and if we're looking even, you know, more radically to rebuild, like knock down and rebuild, which we've done over the years right. um, when we have the funding sources to do it, um, that requires a lot of resources. Yeah. So, um, you know, so going back to Rachel, having ambassadors, whether they're on our board or, or, or outside of our board, um, pushing for a commitment to this work mm -hmm. and agreeing, like if the community agrees that this is something that we do need to invest in along with rental housing and support for renters, because that's, if we see housing as a continuum, right, right for home ownership, you know, well, let's start with the, the people struggling with home, homelessness, right? right, making sure that they are rapidly rehoused and have the resources that they need to get them back up and housed. Mm -hmm. And then we've got rental housing and all the continuum around that mm -hmm. and then home ownership housing counseling 
um, foreclosure prevention and mm-hmm. rehab and repair, right? That is a continuum and it all needs to be well-funded and, and um, well-run by the municipalities in the state and federal and private right. partners, right? That's, it's, it's complex. It and is complex. It really is. Um, yeah, everything seems so simple on the surface. And as soon as you start scratching into anything, it's... Uh, it, uh, it, everything's complicated. Yeah. 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 And I'm sure you see it in real estate, right? Like, um, but, uh, yeah. And it's, and it's similar. It's just kind of the flip side of making sure that, um, we're shoring up the, the foundation of that housing continuum Mm -hmm. so that people can do better in school. So the kids can do better in Mm -hmm. school. Right. So that Mm -hmm. like, because the, the dividends that happen when people are safely and securely housed. Right. Have, um, you know, implies better health and better public health and yeah. better success in school and better success at work and more stable job force. And, mm-hmm. you know, all these things flow from mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Hi, I'm Jennifer Jacobs, the executive director of AHIP, a home repair nonprofit. We believe that everyone should be safe at home. We provide critical home repairs, rehabs, and energy upgrades for low-income individuals and families in Central Virginia. To learn more or to make a donation today, please visit ahipva.org. That's A-H-I-P-V-A.org. Thank you. So how did you get uh, into this uh, organization? What brought you to the organization? Um, So I moved to Charlottesville in 2006. Uh Uh-huh. It was 2005. Mm-hmm. My daughter was six weeks old. Wow. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> we moved from... Moving with a six-week-old or moving country. to Charlottesville or having a yeah. daughter. <laughs> you left the door wide open. I did. Uh, yeah. Um, no, so, yeah, I wouldn't recommend moving across the country with a six-week-old infant and a two-and-a-half-year-old toddler. Right. Like, from where did you from move? From Oakland, California. Oh, wow. So yeah. my husband at the time, we're no longer married, but he got a job. He was recruited by UVA, yeah. so he's a professor there. And we were living in Oakland, and we moved across the country, Yeah, which I grew up on the East Coast, so it was. I feel like I was coming back home. But right. So that's how we got here. In Oakland, I had been working for the National Housing Law Project, which was an advocacy organization okay. um, that did a lot of legal work around tenant protections and mm-hmm, preservation mm-hmm. work and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So when I got to Charlottesville, I was like, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll stay home, right, and be a stay-at-home mom. Like maybe I'll just not work for a while. And after about three weeks, I was like, I cannot stay home with these people. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's not going to survive, and yeah. so I uh, so I started looking for work, and yeah. um, and that was the right thing to do. And Good. so I, I I found this job, and I thought, you know, um, it, at National Housing Law Project, we were working in very abstract, like it wasn't tangible. You know, right. they were doing court cases that if they argued it today, we might not know the effects until years later. There right. was nothing to really take a picture of. It was right. it was hard to to describe and make compelling unless you were in it and you knew the technical wonky stuff. Yeah. But just for general consumption, like it was hard to convey. Right. Um, I think it's easier now that more people are talking about it, but at mm-hmm. the time it just seemed esoteric and mm-hmm. hard to understand. So when I got to Charlottesville, I saw this organization, this job, and I was like, oh my gosh, like I could take a picture of the roof. Yeah. Like how it was so concrete, it was so tangible. And I right. loved that about this and I still do. The yeah. fact that everybody can relate so when they get home, 
and the HVAC isn't running and it should be. Like everybody yeah. knows that feeling of getting up and there's water all over the floor. Like, right. And everybody knows that sense of dread or exasperation or like, oh, it's such a nuisance. Yeah. And then so I feel like I can I can take people's hands and take them one, a couple more steps and be mm-hmm. like, and now you've got, you know, $10 in your bank account. Right. What are you going to do? Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? Like, yeah. what's that? What does that feel like to know that you cannot you just have to wait, right? Work around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that really spoke to me on this. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and so that's how I came to AHA. It's very gratifying. It is You're very excited about you. I can see you have a lot of passion for what you do. Yeah, it's 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 good, and I enjoy being part, like I said, of the of the family of housing organizations here because it we don't operate in a vacuum, right? It fits into the whole picture, right? Because you can't have one without the other. You know, if 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 we do have a, a and we've had people who say, you know what, I'm I'm done with the house. I'm gonna I'm gonna. I'm going to sell it or I'm, I'm, I need to go live yeah. with my daughter or wherever. Right. So some people just decide it's too much. But but the one of the challenges of living in a high cost area like this is that the options for where people go mm-hmm. when they have to or when they choose to are very, very limited. Sure. So if we we can spend ten thousand dollars or eight, eight to ten thousand dollars on a chairlift. Mm-hmm. So um, Mrs. Um, I don't know her last name. Frances is her name. She had a chairlift in Orangedale. Um, she can get up and down her steps. Right. Well, that means she's she can stay in that house. She doesn't right. have to worry about. There is no there is there's one organization in Arlington that I know about that does mm-hmm. subsidized. Um, it's Culpepper Gardens. They do subsidized assisted living, mm-hmm. and it's very very affordable. Mm-hmm. And they are one of the very few. They're the only ones I know about in Virginia that that do that. Mm-hmm. So there is a missing. There are missing aspects of housing, right? right? That people can't just. If you have the means, you can find. You might not like it, or you might not want want to. Mm-hmm. You know, you might not like the implications of having to do something like right. that. But you have the means to go do that. And even for people who are relatively stable, it is crushingly expensive. Right. So if I'm helping Frances in in Orange in the Orangedale neighborhood with her chairlift, mm-hmm. I know that's that that is going to keep her safe and healthy, and she doesn't have to worry about having to go into institutionalized nursing care because mm-hmm. there's nothing in the middle to help her, help her get up right. and down the steps. Right, right, right. Um, well, it's a fantastic organization. It's a great cause. It's a it's a wonderful cause. So if people want to make donations, where do they go? They can go to our website. Okay. So it's ahipva, so A-H-I-P is in Paul, mm-hmm. V-A dot org. Mm-hmm. Um, they can also f- look us up on Facebook. Um, it's not ahip.org. That brings you to some association of health insurance providers. Right, right. So it's ahipva.org. <laughs> we'll Don't donate to up. them. We'll get some links up on the uh, on the uh, episode yeah. guide for your for your episode. Yeah, so we'll get that would them. be great. So we're yeah. running. We're having our annual campaign now. Our annual holiday campaign. Um, okay. So our goal. We're trying to raise a hundred thousand dollars so they can donate online or they can. So send. how close to your goal are you? Um, you know, I don't know. Okay. We have raised. Um, I would say. We just got some donations in this week. We we're not. We just started it, and the mailing just went out. So gotcha. maybe thirty five, forty thousand dollars. That's in. pretty good. So you'll yeah. hit the hundred. You I should hope hit so. the hundred. I hope so. I think people are in a giving mood this year. Twenty twenty was something. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and so. we have had a lot of generous donations this year. Yeah. Um, and to match the need, but um, 
That's what I'm yeah. hearing. I'm hearing that folks are uh, are generously uh, giving for those in need, and there's a lot of people out there. Yeah. All right. So, so Jen, in closing, um, is there is there anything more you want to add, or that you can think of that we uh, didn't chat about about your organization? Uh, we we know where to go to uh, make a donation. We know you need funds. We know there are a lot of people out there uh, that need your help, and I'm encouraging the folks in Northern Virginia who are are uh, hopefully. Uh, have a little something extra they can contribute to help the uh, suburban uh, folks in in the state of Virginia that that need help. That'd be great. But uh, what is there anything else you want to add in uh, closing? Um, no, I, I just I really appreciate the opportunity to come in and talk to you. Uh, this has been great. Well, thanks, Jen. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed meeting you. I enjoyed uh, hearing your uh, stories, and uh, hopefully we can help uh, give a little to your organization. I appreciate it very much. Thanks, Jen. Thanks. Like what you're hearing on the Go With John show? Let us know what you think by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with your friends. To sign up for show updates, head to GoWithJohn.com to join our list.